Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Please, as always, we ask you to download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you could have access to all of our station's content, not just the front line with Joe and Joe. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, we have our social media program. We go live every Monday night at 9 Eastern, uh, primarily at the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube, the front line with Joe and Joe on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And today we're very pleased and honored to be joined by Dr. Matthew Bruninger. And we're going to be discussing his new book, Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts. Um, Matt, I got to tell you, th this is a conversation we look forward to having because if there's one thing that we know, a lot of people hurting out there, a lot of people hurting, and mm -hmm. and and all of us, you, yeah. Joe, me, um, and and I, and every time I think about the things that that hurt me, whether whether physical, spiritual, I always have to remember, and I always try to remember by God's grace, Jesus is there. Yeah. Jesus is there for us. And this this is going to be a great and inspiring and educational conversation. So thank so. you for coming on the show. Um, absolutely. And for those who are not familiar, uh, Dr. Matthew Bruninger is an associate professor of psychology at Franciscan University in Steubenville. He earned an MA in theology from Ave Maria University and a doctoral degree in clinical psychology from Baylor University. Dr. Bruninger is a licensed clinical psychologist. And again, his book, Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts, is available from Emmaus Press. And with that, I am going to hand it over to Joe Resinello. Uh, Matt, we always begin with a prayer. In the name of the Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. I guess to pick, piggyback off what Joe is saying, I mean, there's a lot of hurt people in this world. I, I always watch on EWTN the journey home, uh, and they always start with, like, confused and wounded people. And yeah. I think people, and you know this more than I, um, they see their life through their wounds. Um, and I think if we get to those wounds as Catholics reaching a hand, uh, I think we would have better conversations and obviously lead people to, to Christ. Yeah. But ultimately, though, many of those wounds, I think we have to explore the nature of them. What is the cause of many of these wounds? Now, sometimes wounds are, are not self-inflicted. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's get to that. I mean, sure, obviously, sure. you know, I, and then I think we from there we can kind of move forward. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so but first to your point, uh, part of what I love about being a psychologist is when that door closes, right, people walk in, that door closes. And what I get to see is I get to see 
the deep reality, uh, what Joe P said, we really are, we're all suffering and struggling. Everyone has hurts and wounds. And look, some people get really good. Make no mistake. Some people get really, really good at learning how to um, ignore it, how to push it away, how to distract themselves from it. Look, I think we engage in a whole lot of things to try to keep our wounds from coming to the surface, to keep those hurts, to keep those old, like really painful memories and experiences from, from uh, kind of coming back up to our awareness. We, we get really good and creative at this. We dress up the outside. We scroll social media for hours. We scroll YouTube for hours. We do all sorts of things that prevent me from having to sit with myself and some of my own hurt and pain. Um, but the beauty of being a psychologist for me is that I get to see that there really is this um, universal dimension for all of us to suffering, all of us, we're all hurting. Um, and, and to your point, it becomes problematic when we start to view the world through our wounds because we're no longer free. Uh, Christ wants our freedom. He wants us to have freedom. And this is that passage from Galatians, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. It's like, it is this call. Um, he asks, he asks um, Christ puts this question to one of, the, one of the folks he heals. He says, do you want to be healed? Like, do you want the freedom of healing? Um, and so I think we're all called to this, to this freedom, to this healing. But so many of us aren't sure how to bring our wounds to Christ. And so what is a wound? I'll give you my definition of what a wound is. And, and this is just from my own reading, from my own experience, from what's helped me. I think fundamentally a wound is a failure to be loved the way you were created to be loved. A wound arises anytime somebody doesn't love us the way we were created to be loved. So look, you might ask the question, well, what does it mean to be loved then the way you're created to be loved? And um, if you go to the catechism, if you go to St. Thomas Aquinas, it says to love is to will the good of the other. And you're like, well, that's not super helpful. Um, what are the goods that I was made to receive then? What are the goods that somebody should want for me if they love me? So this is where in the book, I try to begin to make it very clear for people the goods that they were made to receive so that they can better understand these hurts and wounds. So ultimately a wound is when somebody hasn't provided you the goods that you were created to receive. And so I break out six levels, six levels. Um, the first level is bodily goods. I call them the six S's, right? I try to make them uh, memorable for people, six S's. The first is what I call somatic goods, right? Soma is a big fancy Greek word for body. These are bodily goods. Um, the things that your body needs to flourish, food, shelter, clothing, they're like the most basic goods that pertain directly to your body. And you were made to have these things. And I'll see time and time again, when people grow up in extreme poverty, the hurt and pain of saying, I only had one pair of shoes and they had a hole in them. I always felt embarrassed to go to school because I, I only had one pair of jeans and I wear the same pair of jeans every day. Or my family grew up um, and uh, um, in Section 8 housing, and we had a hole in the floor in our kitchen, so I couldn't, like, having adequate food, water, shelter, basic goods you should have. The second is security. We're supposed to have secure, we're supposed to feel safe. That's financial security, that's bodily security, that's emotional security, that's interpersonal security. When we feel like somebody's jeopardizing or threatening our security, then a wound arises. And again, I should give the caveat here. It's the real or perceived failure to be loved. Sometimes it's not always what somebody's actually doing or intending, but it's how we perceive it. And a wound can arise from that. 
Um, so the second level is security. Um, the third level is sense of connection. We're made in the image and likeness of a God who is in his very nature a communion of persons. We're made for relationship uh, with our families, first and foremost, with our families. You, you want to feel close to your mom and dad. You want to feel close to your siblings, um, with friends. This is where like sexual intimacy with a spouse is. We want this connection. We're made for it. And when we fail to get it or receive it, when a father leaves, when a parent dies, when spouses are caught up in drug addiction and can't have the kind of relationship with you that you want, it can be a wound in you at that level of sense of connection. You're not being a, given a good that you were created to receive. Above sense of connection, um, I put self-esteem, that um, each and every one of us has, has an inherent dignity being made in the image and likeness of God being an adopted son or daughter of God. We have an inherent dignity. And that dignity is meant to be recognized. It's meant to be seen. It's like people are meant to, to value you, to see that dignity and say, yeah, I see you're good. And so when we get bullied, when we get picked on, when we get ignored, when we get a wound can arise at that level, somebody failing to recognize, esteem us the way we're created to be esteemed. Um, the fifth level I have is self, uh, self-excellence. Like we want to be excellent. Human beings, like there's this innate desire to strive for excellence, to be good at things, to be competent. Um, and this is what virtue is, by the way, right? Virtue is excellence in the powers of the soul. We're made to pursue excellence. And when people get in the way of that, when they prevent us from pursuing that, when they block us from, from being able to, to uh, like flourish, right? A wound can arise. And lastly, self-transcendent goods. We're made for things like purpose, meaning, justice, children, God. When, when, when we experience being deprived of meaning, purpose, God, goods that draw us beyond ourselves, self-transcendent goods, goods that draw us out of ourselves, then wounds arise. So I think you could basically take any hurt or wound you have and trace it back to being deprived of good at one of those levels meaning somebody failed to love you, real or perceived, failed to love you in that way. They failed to give you or provide for you a good that you were created to have. That makes sense. Dr. Matthew Bruninger is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, uh, Joe Pasillo and Joe Rossinello, and we are way in the breach. Matt's new book is Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts. Let's stay on freedom for a yeah. second, Matt, if yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I think that is a, a overused word nowadays yeah. okay and, and we say that because not that it's not supposed to be used a lot but in the way it's presented now it's not really what authentic freedom is and i think yeah. you would agree with that yes um talk about that talk about our mm. distorted view in our modern posts we had fond father uh father mcteague uh the other day he was oh, he wrote a book about the post post christian era yeah. so we're, we're beyond the post christian yeah. era we're in the post post christian era um talk about the this defect sure. uh in our view of what authentic freedom is and what the catholic church teaches real freedom is vis-a-vis healing our hurts yeah, yeah. Uh, we should so properly view freedom yeah, right. So so the modern notion of freedom is um, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, to whatever degree I want. Um, and the Catholic Church says, no, that, that's not the case, that real freedom, to be truly free, is to be able to pursue the good, to pursue what is genuinely good and valuable and true and will contribute to your flourishing. Um, uh, we wouldn't say the man who, who's, you know, who says, I want to use heroin and I want right, to, um, that's not freedom. Right? Freedom is to go after what actually 
allows you to thrive, to pursue the goods. And, and for me, um, sometimes I think what we think about when we think about healing, something similar happens. We oftentimes think of the freedom that comes with healing. We think about it as freedom from our wound, uh, from suffering, freedom from suffering. And a point that I try to make in this book, and I think it's really important, is that I think freedom isn't um, in the case of healing, it's not freedom from suffering. We're going to suffer on this side of the beatific vision. This side of heaven, we're going to suffer. And in fact, Christ promises it. Like, if there's anyone who's going to follow me, pick up your cross. That's a suffering. We're going to suffer. I think true freedom is being able to go wherever God calls you, do whatever God asks of you, do it in the way God asks you to do it, and to bring your suffering with you. So, so look at us. St. Paul is a great example of this type of freedom. So St. Paul has this thorn in his flesh, right? And, and thorns are painful. Thorns are painful. St. Paul has a wound in his side. And he says, I asked God to remove it three times. And Jesus doesn't remove it. Jesus doesn't take this wound away. So what most of us do in our life is we have wounds. And so what we do is we orchestrate our lives in such a way that our wounds don't get touched. So if you feel insecure about something, if you feel like you're not man enough, if you feel like what you could do is you could always be the big, gruff, tough guy in the room, right? Always putting people down. Well, that's a way of making sure that your wound of insecurity doesn't get touched. If you feel financially insecure, maybe you work 80-hour weeks, you're first in, you're last out, you have tons of money, you buy the boat, you buy the yacht, you buy the spot on, uh, uh, you know, the sound, like you don't want to have that wound of insecurity or financial insecurity touch. So you orchestrate your life so that you don't ever have to feel it. Most of us, uh, when we're wounded, will respond to our wound like that. We try to control and manipulate life and others so that our wounds don't get agitated or touched. But that's not freedom. We're slaves to our wounds then. We're not free to go wherever God calls us because I have to make sure that I'm orchestrating life, not that my wound touched. But so St. Paul is a great example of this because whatever that wound is, some people speculate that the wound is um, lust, that he struggled with lust. Let's say that's the case. One thing St. Paul could have done is said, well, okay, when the Lord calls him to Rome uh, to preach to the Romans, he said, well, Lord, I can't go to Rome. There's prostitutes there. Uh, look, I'll go, to, um, I'll go to Galatia. I'll go to Thessalonica, but I can't go to Rome. We do this all the time where we might be called to something, but we we can't we we don't go where we're called, or we don't pursue it the way God's pursuing us or calling us to pursue it, because that might touch a wound. It might cause suffering. And I think a real freedom. I actually think we can say with confidence, Saint Paul was healed, because healing, as I define it, is having the freedom to go wherever God calls you and bring your suffering with you. You don't have to always react to your suffering now. I don't have to I don't have to react to my insecurity, my fear, my pain, my abandonment, my my negative thoughts, my bad memories, my my painful memories. I don't have to react to them anymore. I can just bring them with me as I go wherever God calls me. And it turns out quite often God uses my wounds in his service when I go wherever he calls me. He uses it to bring freedom and healing to others. 
Dr. Matthew Bruniger joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. That was, uh, Matt, that was awesome. I'm going to tell you why. Yeah. Because I was sitting in mass this morning. And I, I, that's why I always tell Joe, I feel that our show and what we're doing is, is definitely, in some weird way, it's all yeah. under God's providence, okay? Because yeah. I was thinking about that very thing this morning in mass. And I and uh, the, the, I was thinking about St. Paul and I was thinking about the thorn mm. um, because of my own suffering. Okay, yeah. because of my own wounds, because like yeah. we said, we, we all have them. Yes. But and, and it happens often. But then I'm, I'm not saying I hear the voice of Christ, but I'm reminded what Christ told Paul, which is my grace is sufficient yes. for you. Yes. My grace is sufficient for you. Yes. I can't do anything uh, it, it was as far as just my own personal comment. And then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I can't do anything about the memories. And I have a ton of them. Yes. OK. Yes. Um, yes. And, and, and the wounds and all of it. All I could do is keep remembering. Stay close to Christ. His yes. grace is, is enough for you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. Dr. Matthew Bruninger, Finding Freedom in Christ is his book, Healing Life's Hurts. That's available at Emmaus Press. Joe Resinello. Matt, there's so much that you said that we can unpack. I'll just uh, yeah. talk about freedom for a moment. Oh. If you're free the way you described it, you are a dangerous man. Yeah. on this earth because yeah. people are not free like that yes people put on masks yes. to exist yes. i always use the analogy i want to be invited to the barbecue yes like that's how people operate yes like yes. as if you look at children i have young children they don't operate like that no. kids are so innocent hi like they're just like you know, know. like they have no yeah. like like masks none yeah. Yeah. it's just how they roll yeah. But as we get older, we yeah. put them on. I know. I think they're for safety. I think they're for safety, Joe. I would yeah. agree. Yeah. But when you operate under that definition of freedom, and this is for anybody, and, and I'll tell you this, if you ever meet somebody who operates in that mm -hmm. way, you'll you know. never forget that person. You know I will guarantee ever. Because that's not how people roll. I know. And but here, you know, talk about that because God mm. created us to be unique. Yeah. Everyone wants to be somebody else. Yeah. I think the way to really stand out is to be who you are, to be okay. just the way you described it. But we're afraid because we want to be invited to the barbecue. Yeah, Joe, that's great. So um, there's this this thing in psychology called the central relational paradox, and and the idea is um, we deeply desire to be known and loved. We want to be seen. Like, I want somebody to see me. I want to be known. I want to be invited to the barbecue. Like, I want you to see me and say, that's the guy I want like by my side. But I'm so afraid that if you really saw me, this is the paradox. I'm afraid if you really saw me, you might not like me. And then you might not want to stay connected to me. And so we're constantly balancing this. Like, I want to be seen, but I also want to be invited to the bar. Uh, I also want to be um, uh, liked. And so we put on masks to try to get both of these needs met, hide enough of myself to be invited to the barbecue, but still be seen a little bit. And it's exhausting, dude, it's exhausting. I've met three people in my life who have the kind of freedom I'm talking about. That's a, and and I've, met, I've met a whole bunch of people who are well on their way, but there are three people who stand out of my mind. One of them is a, a, a religious sister from Boston. Um, she's, a, she's from Iraq. Uh, oh, I know who she. I know who yeah. she. Yeah, Mother Olga. Mother yeah, Olga. Yeah. 
dude, she's four foot nothing. Yeah, yeah. I walked yeah. up to her to thank her for a talk she gave. And I don't, you know, I hate when sort of people mobs, you know, Catholic celebrities. I hate this sort of thing. So I just went up and wanted to give her like a quick handshake and walk away. And I shook her hand and I started to walk away and she grabbed my hand, both hands, which is like, you don't do that to people, right? That's uncomfortable. With both hands, she grabbed my hand, pulled me and looked at me and said, hello, what is your name? And I kid you not, it was, I felt simultaneously like, completely seen i felt totally naked i mean like it's she looked at me the way i've always wanted to be looked at and it also felt so vulnerable man because i felt like she was fully present she was free and in that she was inviting me to freedom part of what's so dangerous about free people is that and and so beautiful right is that they invite others to freedom when you encounter someone who's free you don't feel like you need to wear your mask anymore all of a sudden, there's a sense of like, maybe I could be myself with this person. And man, it is exciting and terrifying. But I mean, this is part of what I think Christ does. I mean, Christ is is the ultimate free man. And, and he goes to the woman at the well, right? When he meets the Samaritan woman at the well, she's at the well because she's ashamed. She's there at noon, the hottest part of the day. She's hiding. She's a pariah. Everyone in town knows who she is. She's had multiple husbands. She doesn't go to the well in the morning with the women when it's cool. She goes by herself because she's ashamed. And Christ shows up and frees her, lets her take down the mask. And by the way, the woman who goes to the well at noon because she's ashamed ends up being the same woman who runs into the, the town proclaiming Christ. She becomes the messenger of Christ. Free people, yeah, dangerous. Man, they're they're exhilarating. I came to set the world on fire in Ohio. I wish it were already ablaze. Free people set the world on fire. They set other people on fire. But they're Man, also... Me, yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish I was just going to say, we, we sometimes get offended by people like this. Uh, and this is to, to Joe R's point. Sometimes these folks, they don't play by the rules that we play all these sort of social games and social rules and how you're supposed to act at the barbecue once you're invited and how we're supposed to right keep each other's masks on free people don't do that and so free people can sometimes seem offensive right there's a difference between somebody who's just offensive and pretending to be free right i speak the truth that's what i do uh, no free truly free people sometimes are misperceived because they don't follow the social norms and guidelines that all of us tend to participate in to try to get our needs met but man they're exhilarating they're exhilarating man let, let me ask you a question joe and i on our particularly on our social media show we try to we, you know we try to tackle a lot of what's going on in politics culture and sure. you know the the rot that's out there along sure. the lines of what both of you are saying all right the invited to the barbecue analogy i'll, I'll throw something out there to you i sure. love your comments right. yeah. if all christians yeah. self-identified christians okay yes. Rather than wanting their neighbors to know their name yep. and going to the barbecue, how about you worry about whether or not Christ knows your name? Yeah. Now, you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, you know, where Christ says, there are many going to call on me and say, I don't know you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in order to solve some of our problems, we ought to have a bit of a paradigm shift. Yeah. I'm not so much concerned about going to the barbecue yeah. as much as I am in going to heaven. 
Yeah. Okay. If Christians, again, self-identified serious Christians started yes. thinking that way, saying, hey, listen, the ultimate barbecue is in heaven, okay? Yeah. That's yeah. where I get the best red wine and the best choice of roast meats, okay? Um, and, and the best company because you're in the presence of God. Sure. Maybe a little paradigm shift would go a long way, not only in helping us heal our own wounds yeah. our individually, but maybe I think that would go a long way to help us to heal our culture, 100%. our society. And the, the rest problem. of it. What are your yeah. thoughts? Am yeah. I am I off base there? No, I think that's right. But the, the problem is, um, no, I think that's right. The problem is, and ultimately it comes down to this deep, abiding, intimate relationship with Christ. But there's 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 an opposite. This is what I think, this is why I think focusing on wounds is so important, because I think our wounds actually serve as a, a barrier to encountering Christ that way. That as Joe R. said in the beginning, we begin to see the world through our wounds. And that means we even encounter and approach Christ through our woundedness. We don't approach him um, in the way that he, he's inviting us to. We approach him with our wounds. I approach him with my ego. I approach him with my self-preservation strategies. I approach him with my... I don't approach him in a way that actually allows him to touch my wounds and set me free. And so I think your point's right, that yet the goal is like, I want Christ to know my name. Uh, it's about a relationship with Christ. That's what this all is about. But if we don't recognize that our wounds very often, it's not the wounds themselves, by the way, it's the way we choose to deal with them. Most of us choose to deal with our wounds in what I call self-preserving ways. Wounds are painful, so we adopt all these strategies, self-preservation strategies. Um, sometimes success is a self-preservation strategy. Like um, I was talking about, I won't say names, but I was talking about this very, very, very prominent, incredibly wealthy billionaire in the United States uh, to one of my classes. And I, we were talking about um, how many hours a week this person works. And I said, look, that's utterly unnatural. That's a father wound. That's a little boy trying to convince his dad that he's good enough. And one of the students in the back was like, his dad left when he was 12. Like, of course he did. All of that work, all of that success, all of that, it's a way of trying to keep himself from having to feel like I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough. The problem is those self-preservation strategies we adopt are, are a barrier to our relationship with Christ. Christ is asking me to hand him my wound in its raw form, so him, the divine physician, can touch it and heal it. And instead, what I tend to heal him, uh, hand him, is my self-preservation strategy or uh, my mask. <laughs> to Joar's point, I come to Christ with my mask on, and I can't be set free that way. So part of my book is trying to help us recognize what's the mask? What's the self-preservation strategy? Only then can I say, Lord, take this mask off me. Here's what it is. And it gets in my way of loving and serving you. And Absolutely. what, yeah, what father wouldn't, what father wouldn't help you once you ask for that? I will do whatever you ask of me, father. Just take this mask, take this self-preservation strategy away from me. Cause it's, it's a, it's a hindrance to me living the way you want me to live. No, it's funny. I, I, you know, everything I said about, let's say, just me personally, I, I just never saw it that way. And that's why, you know, we say on the show all the time, Matt Bruning, you're here joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, is that Joe and I, when we have on guests like yourself, Dr. Matthew Bruninger, Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts is the book. Um, we're educated. We learn just as much as our audience because I've just mm -hmm. never thought of it that way. We, we do have to go to a break, but we have about a minute. Joe, you want to start a question and then we'll pick it up maybe um, on the other side of the break? Sure. 
Um, you talked about your six like stages, and basically, I think a lot of those hurts. Obviously, hurts happen. Not necessarily things we've done; they've been done to us. But yeah. then there's things we do, yeah. and. I think we have to talk about that because the natural law, when I used to teach RCIA, I used to say the natural law applies to you whether you acknowledge it or not. 100%. And there are consequences to that. And that's, yep. I think, what we could talk about on the other side, Joe, because ultimately, I think a lot of us think that if I don't say I'm not a practicing Catholic and I engage in X, Y, or Z, it doesn't affect me. Wrong. Because yeah. you came from God, yeah. and it applies to you just as much as it applies to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. So then, no, and that's that's a really great, great question, Joe Rosanello. So yeah, let's take a break real quick. You're with the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio <laughs> Network, thirteen fifty on your AM dial, one hundred three point nine on your FM dial. We're having a great and 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 very encouraging and educational conversation with Dr. Matthew Bruninger. We're discussing his new book that's out at Emmaus. Press, please buy it from the publisher. Let's support our Catholic authors and their publishers, Catholic publishers, finding freedom in Christ, healing life's hurt. So, like I said, we're going to pick up on that question when we come back from the break. Don't go anywhere. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Dr. Matthew Bruninger, and we are discussing his new book, Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts. Joe, for those people out there just joining us, uh, very brief, what was the question you have for Matt? And then we'll jump right back in. We're talking about how sin, basically, I or we can couch it where people who aren't like in the Catholic Church, the natural law, um, when we violate it, how it affects us. Um, and a priest one time broke it down. He was an Italian priest, a CFR. He said this. He broke it down to grating cheese. When you go against the grain with Parmesan cheese, it cuts. But when you go with the grain, it does not. And that's what happens with sin. Sin wounds us. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take that to the divine physician, which a lot of people, including people in the Catholic Church, they don't go to confession, yeah. that sin gets infected, and it affects you, and it could get you very sick. Talk about that, because I think that's the answer to many people's problems, is a yeah. good confession. Yeah. So I have a, yeah, I, so one of my steps, one of the steps in the book, there's six steps in the book that I outline, and they're very practical steps. Uh, one of the steps is, is a confession. So I ask you to go, I ask you to go back over your entire life, and look for your what you've done wrong. And then I ask you to confess it. So here, to Joe's point, here's how I think of, I broke it down in the book like this. I think there are two types of wounds. There's primary wounds and secondary wounds. Primary wounds are, are when we fail to be loved where we created to be loved. Okay. Secondary wounds are when we set ourselves up to be hurt and harmed by others. And I think, and, and I'm going to tie this into what you're saying, Joe R., but I think so often many of the psychological um, disturbances we experience, excessive anger, uh, depressed mood, anxiety, unhappiness, so many of these are actually caused because we've put ourselves in a position 
to be hurt or harmed by others. So a uh, simple example, I show up to work at the university and um, I come to, to work and I, I, I have an excessive desire to be esteemed by my colleagues. I want them to like everything I do, right? I, and, and that comes out of a wound for me. I want, I want somebody to like everything I do and they have to see my value. So I show up and I'm working my butt off, right? I'm just working, working, working. And I don't get the praise I think I deserve. And now I'm angry and I'm hurt. I go home and I'm telling my wife, they're not. See, I'm I'm publishing, you know, academic articles. I'm overseeing, you know, all these student uh, uh, different activities and I'm giving talks and I'm and I feel righteous and justified in my anger and in my unhappiness. But isn't the truth, didn't I set myself up to be hurt because I went into the situation with an excessive desire to be esteemed by others? I, I wasn't going into the situation saying, God, what do you want for me? I was going in saying, this is what I need and this is what I want. And other people didn't act and react the way I needed them to. So I think a big part of our wounds are actually the way that we set ourselves up to be hurt and harmed and disappointed by others. One more simple example. Um, I run late often. I will, I'll leave the house like five minutes before I'm supposed to be somewhere. And then I get filled with rage when someone in front of me is going too slow. Like, is my anger, in my mind, it's justified. They're going too slow. Look at this idiot driver. Look at the, but didn't I set myself up to be frustrated when I chose to leave the house late? If I had given myself adequate time, I wouldn't be bothered by this. This is a simple way of illustrating that to various degrees, we actually set ourselves up to be wounded. And those wounds, the, the way we set ourselves up to be wounded, that festers. That festers. So I act really short uh, with my kids. I get real angry. I act real short. I'm, I'm real stressed out and miserable. And then they don't want to hang out with me. And I get all boo-booed that my kids don't want to hang out with me. Why don't you love your father? Why don't you spend time with me? Why don't you... Didn't I set myself up to be hurt by them by approaching them constantly with my anger and my, and then we just get this cycle of sort of perpetually inflicting wounds upon ourselves and being angry and frustrated. And, and you know what I see, Joe, sometimes I see people, they end up confessing the fruit of their wounds rather than the root. And so we go to, we go to confession and, and people say, well, I, I confess my anger at my children. I confess constantly losing my temper. I confessed my uh, using pornography and masturbation. I think, great, those are sins. You need to confess those. But there's deeper roots to those. I actually think those are self-preservation strategies. Like, so um, I get so angry at my kids. You know why I get angry at my kids in 95% of the case? Because I have a fear that people around me in the Catholic world will think that I'm a bad dad if my kids aren't perfect. And so what happens is my kids are out in public and they're being kids but it's touching my fear. It's touching my insecurity. You're going to make me look bad. Don't you know I'm a psychologist? Don't you know people look at me? You're making me look bad. My insecurity causes me to get angry at my kids. It's not my kids. My three-year-old's a three-year-old. My 10-year-old's a 10-year-old. It's me that's the problem. And so rather than confess, so what do I confess? I end up confessing week after week. 
I got angry at my kids. I yelled at my kids. I fussed at my kids. Great. That is a sin. I need to confess it. But the deeper sin, the root of my anger is I have an excessive desire to be esteemed by others. I have a fear. I have a lack of faith. I fear that other people won't respect me. I have an excessive desire for the respect of others. That's really the root of my anger. And so part of what this book is trying to do is trying to get at the root, not just the fruit. So do we need to confess? Yeah, we need to confess. What I say in the book is even if you're only 2% responsible, even if you're only 2% responsible, you need to own 100% of your 2%. I want to I need to get back on that yeah, a little go. bit because like yeah. a friend of mine one time we were talking and just laughing. He said, if you can't lie to yourself, who can you lie to? And I think that's how people like exist. Yeah. And the the good thing about confession, I want to yeah. hark back to that. And I agree yeah. with everything, what you said, but a lot of those awarenesses is grace. Yeah. You see, confession has a couple of hats. One, you're forgiven, but sure. you're given grace to overcome. And yes. part of that is you're given vision. Yes. You see, we don't utilize the tools that the church gives us. You see, because we all are human and we have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. Like like mm -hmm. one of the things I pray about in the morning with regard to patience with my children is to be patient with myself because I'm a human being. And like, I, like I'm just a human being. Sure. As much as I want to acquire patience, I have to be patient with Joe because sure. I'm not God. And, sure. and I'm always going to be a, you know, fail. I'm going to fail. With that said, God gives us grace to overcome our wounds. Yeah. And yeah. we can't do that without it. Yeah. Like, like that's yeah. another like like prideful, like I am, sure. am a person. I will overcome. Wrong. For sure. Wrong. It's a heresy. You're a human being. Yeah. And just like all human beings, we fail every yes. day. Even when we try our best, confession gives us that grace. Yeah. And sure. we don't use it. Sometimes enough. too, you know, we we um part of I think what you know, one of the problems we've we've lost um some of the language that helps us understand. I mean, part of vision, um, it's one thing to see something, it's another thing to be able to articulate what I see. And so um, I see this with my little kids, right? Before they have the word, they'll point to things and and they'll babble words and they're trying to communicate. They see something, but they don't have the language yet to communicate what they see. Like I want Cheerios, like they're pointing, they're babbling. They're... And something I think spiritually similar happens. Many of us sometimes see something, but we've lost, I think sometimes in the language of the church because we're not well catechized because most of us don't know the faith super well, because we haven't actually learned the tradition of the church, we don't always have the language to articulate what we're seeing either. And so in, we get the grace of confession. We start to, to recognize something's wrong, but we don't know how to put it in words. And this is why I think part of what I try to do subtly in the book is introduce language to people to begin to articulate what they're seeing. Uh, but this is a great, you know, you it sounds to me like what you guys do, what others do, we need to go back and be catechized. We need to go back and learn and understand what the the beautiful tools the church has for us, right? Which are geared toward our true freedom. But we have to want to, though, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> we we yeah, again, it, I agree with you, but 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 we have to want to. And and, and and let me just let me say this, Doctor Matthew Bruniger, yeah. joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Um, 
I, I, it's, it's a question that I have to make sure I get through in my muddled mind. Sometimes I want to make sure it comes out the right way. You mentioned yeah. earlier, uh, it's, and it's one of the passages that moved me early on as I began to practice the faith again, <laughs> yeah. was when Christ says to the lame man, would you be made well? It always struck me. You would think a guy who's lame is just going to like, you know, Lord, why are you asking that question? I'm sitting here lame. You know, yeah. I want to. And I think guys like us, we we answer that question imperfectly. We it's very easy to say, yeah. um, yes, I want to be made well, but we're dealing with these wounds, or we're dealing with these struggles. And as Catholic men, yeah. we understand it's a struggle. The, the, yeah. the church teaches that clearly. All of human history is a struggle that we have to go through. So in that way, I would say that we answer Christ and say, yes, we would be made well, Lord, but we need your help. Okay. Yeah. But where I'm going with this is, what about those? And I think this brings it more to the cultural map. We promise we're not going to get you in too much trouble here at the front line with Joe and Joe. What about those who may very well have wounds, but would look Christ right in his face and say, no, no, I I do not. I do not want your help. In fact, not only do I not want your help, I'm going to embrace my mask. I'm going to embrace my chains. Yeah. So um, this is, I mean, I love that as a psychologist. I love it. Because I want to understand it. Because when somebody, when, when, when somebody who loves you, somebody who desires, somebody who says to you, hey, I want you, and you say no, I, I want to understand that. And, and for me, I try to kind of get at that at the beginning of the book. And then I have another, two things I think are really relevant here. One is, why do we struggle to change? Uh, Flannery O'Connor, the, the Southern Catholic author, has this great quote. She says, human beings resist grace because grace changes us and change is painful. Like, look, one of the reasons we say, I don't want your help is because most of us have been living with our mask for so long that it's terrifying to imagine what it would be like without us. Chris West used to have this thing in one of his books where he would say, um, it's better to eat out of a dumpster than to not eat at all. Like, I think a lot of us feel that way about life. We, we think, well, um, I don't know, Lord, like, I don't know what you're going to ask of me. I have no clue what you're actually going to call me to. It's terrifying. So I think a lot of us are motivated by fear. I'm afraid of what you might ask if I say yes. I'm afraid that you might not actually adequately meet my needs. I'm afraid that I might be left feeling, you know, weak or lonely or lame or insecure or not tough, not cool, not. If I turn to you, Lord, what will I end up looking like? I don't know. That's part of it. Part of it, I think, is fear. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of the unknown. At least with my crappy self, I know what I'm getting. (laughs) I don't know what happens if you transform me, Lord. The other thing is this. Most of us, and this is a big one, most of us view view God through the lens of our early childhood caregivers. And I have a whole section on this in the book. It's called God Attachment. Attachment in, in the psychology literature, attachment is um, the felt security you have with your parents. You're supposed to feel in your very bones safe and secure with your parents. You're not supposed to feel intimidated. You're not f- supposed to feel scared. You're not, even when you're acting out, even when you're acting up, even when you're, you're supposed to feel connected and loved. It doesn't mean I'm not advocating for some sort of like soft, namsy, pansy pa- parenting, nothing like that. Parents still need to have rules, boundaries, et cetera, consequences. But we're not supposed to feel afraid of our parents. We're never supposed to feel like our bodily autonomy or 
love is going to be withdrawn or and most of our parents were pretty imperfect and so the problem is we tend to view god through that lens and it's by the way guys this this is this gets deeply embedded neurobiologically this isn't just like this is like early childhood that those first three years of your life you're laying down the the neurobiological substrate of how you think about relationships how you think about caregivers and so what happens is you get a template in your mind for how you think about intimate caregiving relationships god is a caregiver he would call him father and so when i hear god the father i i have like a ooh i know what fathers are okay and if you're anything like my dad right that's where a lot of people go mm. and so what what's another reason we reject christ's help because of the wounds that we have with our parents so part of the reason i think AA does this really nicely. If you're familiar with the 12 steps, they really inspired a bunch of my steps. And here's why. AA basically says in one of their steps, you got to turn your will and life over to God completely, radically. That's in the third step. Are you willing to do that? And people, are, yeah, okay, I have to be willing to say that I'm, I'm, I'm going to at some point turn my will over to God. But most people who have been shooting heroin under a bridge for a decade don't have like a beautiful, loving image of God, right? And so then what the 12 steps do is they clear away all this junk and garbage within you that's been blocking you off from the sunlight of the Spirit. And they introduce you to a kind, loving, caring, benevolent God. And they, they remove the junk that's been blocking you so that you can actually turn your life and will over to him. So, and by the way, that doesn't happen till step seven, when the alcoholic or addict says, God, I'm now ready that you should have all of me. They make the decision in step three that they're going to do it. They clear away all the garbage that's blocked them from knowing who God is and from experiencing God's love. And then they actually do it in step seven. This is, I think, partially what we're talking about. Why do people reject God? Very rarely, I think Chesterton said this, people very rarely reject the church. They reject what they think the church is. Mm. Look, very rarely do people reject God. They reject who they think God is. And that's tainted, and that's marred by hurts and wounds from our parents. That's marred by scandals in the priesthood. I mean, I know people, I have very good friends who were, were abused by priests, that 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 can do a real number on how somebody approaches the father and whether or not somebody when you're minister when the person who's supposed to be your representative hurts me so badly i'm not sure i want anything to do with you or hurts a, a friend or family member so i think it's a complex thing i think mm. it's but that's why i love thinking about wounds because i think when we start to heal wounds people see god differently when, our, when we see how much our wounds have shaped, to Joe R's original point, we see the world through our wounds. And when we start to take those wounded glasses off, we can see God as God is. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that, Dr. Matthew Bruninger, joining us here. Joe Rosanello. Well, I think you're right, and it's particularly around why people don't follow Christ. They have wounds 100%. Um, yeah. They didn't ask for them. I think also, to your point, people are afraid. Yeah. Because to be honest with you, to follow Christ you should be afraid for sure. He's going to ask you to do things. I mean, I'll look at my own life, Matt. I'll be Matt and I went to the same college. I was a very popular guy. 
I lived in very popular. I'm just being honest. No, no. I'm not popular now. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people, if I went to a Scranton reunion right now, I am a freak with a capital F R E A K. Sure. I don't think so, Joe. No, I'm just being <laughs> honest with you. Like, like people I live with, I they're like, who is this person? I know. Like, like, and that's real. But my point is, I think what true accompaniment is, people have to see freedom. When you yes. see a person, yes. like I've seen this with the Missionaries of Charity, dealing with people. You talk about people shooting up under a bridge. Did horrible things. I know. Mind-blowing things, I know. which I'm not going to get into. But they encounter holiness because holiness is real. I know. And when you encounter that, you don't even have to preach. That person glows almost. Yeah. And you say to yourself, why the heck can't I have that? But no. Why can't I? Why can't I do that? Because you can. You it doesn't can. matter where you've been or who you are. That's where we have to allow ourselves. The world yeah. needs saints, Matt. Yes. I'm convinced of this. Yes. More than anything, we talk to people all over, up and down the block. That is the argument. The world needs saints because what you described is so real to people. Yeah. You mean I'm not going to contracept? I'm going to be open no. to life? No. I can't afford my X or my Y? How am I going to send my kids to college? No. How? What? Where? Who's going to think of me of this but when you see someone who does that, that is alive, I know. you say, damn, I'm missing out. I know. I, that free, yeah, to your point, that, that line, that word freedom, and we talked about you know, earlier on the, the, the misuse of it. But when you, when you encounter somebody who's free, and the saints are free, the saints are free. They're unencumbered by their own. And by the way, sometimes you, you still have uh, struggles and sufferings and wounds and but you're no longer dominated by them, controlled by them. You don't have to react to them. The saints knew themselves. The saints know their weakness. They know their, and yet they're free. It is contagious. It's contagious. Uh, you're you're hundred percent right. Look, I'm I'm at a wonderful university. We're we're pumping out students who I think are well formed, and um, you know we have some tremendous minds here. But the world needs saints. The world needs free people who have touched God's love. And have been set ablaze by it. The, the missionaries of charity are great. The CFRs are great. The Sisters of Life in New York. Um, I was talking to to one of the Sisters of Life recently. She's free, and she's not perfect. She's wounded. She she has struggles, but she's free. And when you're around her, you like, you think I could have that. That's doable. Most guys like us, I think, who have who have passed. I went to the University of Scranton as well. Um, we sometimes wonder if that's available to us. And this is the beauty. I mean, Christ gets down into the muck and the mire with prostitutes and adulterers, and, a, and he offers them freedom. He says, this can be yours. And that to me is, why do we need healing? We need healing because um, I think this is what's going to set the world on fire. Man, Absolutely. I mean, and it Dr. transcends politics, all that. It's like, it's, that's what God wants, sainthood. 
Right, because all that other stuff will take care of itself if we yeah. actually if we actually strive right. for let's yes. say even if somebody says I don't believe in your Catholic God I don't believe I or I don't believe in God do you believe in moral boundaries you Joe mentioned the natural, natural law. law yes all right you, you, do you honestly think even if you don't believe in God that there's no logos to the universe at all right. go ahead Matt yeah and I was gonna say to that point look um, we can use AA as a template again start small. Like, I, I believe that God calls each of us by name uniquely, our vocation, he calls us. And so I trust that if we can start small with people, if we can begin to open them up to the possibility that there is a God, that God wants something for them, that, that there is a natural law. Look, uh, try to do good and avoid evil, right? Patience, tolerance, love, kindness, and not the sort of wishy-washy, but, but like genuine love, gen honesty, humility, right? If we can start small with people, I believe God will draw them along the path. Like, do people have to immediately, um, somebody who's been, you know, shooting heroin for 15 years, do they have to automatically accept the doctrine of, of um, the Immaculate Conception? That's a tough place to start, right? But I think if we can get them to just open up to the reality that God is love and God wants them, God can draw them along the path. If we walk with them, if we're honest with them, if we're loving, if we're, God will do the work so yeah, I I think you're. you're well, one day, but I I think one thing I would say, and then I just want to ask you one more question because we don't have a lot of time. Uh, but we have to show people that. Yeah. We, we yeah. that that that's yeah. our responsibility. Yes. People cannot look at us. Not that we're going to be perfect, and that's one unreasonable expectation sometimes. And yeah. criticism of Catholics is, well, you're not doing it perfectly, uh -huh. right? That's why Jesus is my savior because right. I don't do it perfectly. Right. Okay. We have to be more honest about that. We got to well, we got to be upfront with that. Like we. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. 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 We yeah we have to be upfront. Matt, I got to ask you one question. We only sure. have a few minutes left, sure. but I think it's an important one. I think one of the lies out there. All right. And we don't have to get into too much detail. There are many wounds and sure. these wounds manifest themselves in many different ways. Sure. Um, let's say in, in individuals, it yep. might be same sex attraction. It might be gender dysphoria. OK, sure. I think one of the lies and I experienced it firsthand, um, where is the the narrative is that these things um, they won't call them wounds, but we're calling them wounds. These yep. wounds are set. At an early age, you alluded to it earlier. You said a neurobiological, um, yeah. let's say, imprint that happens at a young age. But you said something that is contradicted in the culture is that there is no changing people back or there is no therapy, yeah. Yeah. let's say, to heal. Again, they're not going to use the word wounds. We would, okay, sure. as these wounds manifest themselves in our behavior and those things that we embrace, okay. Is that true? I mean, yeah, so... Because you're a that. therapist. At the end yeah. of the day, you're a psychologist. So, yeah. I mean, can people break these things and change? Yeah. So, I guess it depends what, uh, these things. If we're talking about um, – when I'm talking about the template for, for intimate caregiver relationships, the answer there is yes. Um, th those are called internal working models. And internal working models are deeply sort of neurobiologically imprinted, but they're not unchangeable. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, it takes intentionality, but they can be changed over time. Um, but that's different. That's a different thing than when we're talking about, say, same-sex attraction. Um, if we're talking about same-sex attraction, I actually, the way I think about it is I think there's actually sort of um, two distinct uh, maybe causes. I think there are deep-seated, and the catechism alludes to this, there's deep-seated same-sex attraction. There are individuals who, um, from a very early age, um, have and, and seem to exhibit um, same-sex attraction uh, and and 
this can be, there's a number of studies, some show that moms who have uh, higher levels of testosterone um, in their, you know, in utero environment um, have children, particularly young girls who have a higher rate of same-sex attraction. Um, so I think there can be cases where it is deep-seated and more biologically driven. And then I think there are cases where um, it can be more sort of socially driven by social factors. Um, and I think evidence of this is that you see people who have same-sex attraction sometimes change their attraction. But then you have some people who, despite a desire to change their attraction, despite efforts to, don't or can't. And so it actually seems to me that we're talking about two different groups. One is predominantly biologically driven. The other is socially driven. Um, I worked with a young woman who, who was same-sex attracted, um, 16 years old, but had been horribly abused. Her mom was prostituting her out for drugs. Like, of course, she wants nothing to do with men. Mm-hmm. Um, from from the age of six. I mean, like she, she's men are awful. They're horrifying. They're monsters. Of course she did. Um, I suspect the way I think about it, we're talking about two different groups. There is predominantly biologically driven same-sex attraction, and then there's sort of socio-cultural factors that contribute really strongly. Um, and so that's why I think you see some folks who uh, are able to sort of change attraction and other people who seem like more deeply rooted in it. And look, I think we need a place in the church for, I encountered this with students, we need a place in the church for people who are same-sex attracted um, and it's sort of deep-seated to know that they're supported, loved, welcomed, and and we recognize what a struggle it is to ask of, of them this sort of heroic chastity and celibacy that we say, look, we recognize this, and those of us who, who don't have this struggle, we are here to support you, work with you, have you over for mm-hmm. dinners. and like We need... We have- uh, Matt, I'm sorry because yeah, we're, no. we're all about time. But you have groups like Courage that yes. do, that do just yes. that. Yes. And Joe and I think that they don't get enough attention. They don't. These are people who have a sincere love of Jesus yes. Christ, and they have a same-sex attraction, yes. and they've chosen Christ. Yes. We can't go any more beyond that, Matt. Bruninger for joining us here at the front line Joe, with Joe and Joe. We thank you so much. Matt's yeah. book, and we encourage you all to go out and buy it from Emmaus Press, Finding Freedom in Christ, Healing Life's Hurts. Matt, thank you so much for coming yeah. on the show. You're welcome back here anytime, brother. Thank you, guys. I just want to say a quick thing. I'm uh, I'm leading a healing pilgrimage to France this summer, to Paris, Lisieux, and Lourdes. So you can check that out at versoministries.com backslash Dr. B. All right. And we'll have you back, Matt, I'm sure, before then, and we'll talk about that again. Hey, I'm going to take you up on that. I'm looking for a place to go this summer. Good, good. Matt Bruniger, thanks again, and thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We went way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Thanks again, and remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.